Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to discuss the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Trevor Haddock about marketing for the healthcare and pharmaceutical vertical. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed. And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings Season 2. Today, we are joined by Trevor to talk about marketing in the healthcare and pharmaceutical vertical. Trevor is a director of performance media at Merkle, and he was previously a guest with us on episode 15, (laughs) if you want to go back and listen, where we interviewed him about how he and the Cancer Treatment Centers of America team used advanced TV to drive visibility for CTCA services. So welcome back to the show, Trevor. Thank you. (laughs) So this is our last episode of our vertical highlight series that we focused on in in the latter half of of this season. So we highlighted a a bunch of different verticals where we have deep expertise in, but they don't really get a ton of airtime on our show or, you know, the light of day that they really deserve. So we've dug into nonprofit, CPG, B2B as a selling vehicle, telecom. Uh, And now we're taking a look at healthcare and pharmaceutical marketing. So to start with, we want to define a couple of basic parameters for this vertical. Trevor, could you help us describe like when we talk about this vertical, what do you see as like the product or experience that we're advertising for our accounts? Yeah, I think there's kind of two categories, and I think this is how we think about it um, a little bit from from a business perspective, right, is there's kind of the health services side, which are your hospital networks, right? You're actually going in and getting a, a service or a visit or appointment of some type. And then there's the true product side, um, right, that may be a drug, um, it may be a tool or a device, right, to help with a certain condition, right? And then somewhere in the health vertical, that's appropriate. So I think we think about it as, you know, products being an in-person service, um, more in the, the health services side, and then products being more drugs or tools um, in the health product side. And what do we classify? I'm assuming it, it differs for the two groups, but who is traditionally the customer that we're uh, selling to for each of those segments? Yeah, I think in both of them, they can range both a, a, a you know a direct to customer, direct to consumer, um, direct to patient on one side, but there's also a B two B that healthcare marketing side, right, where we're targeting the healthcare professionals. You know, both of them can kind of stretch between both you know sides. So I wouldn't say that products only go to consumers or products mm-hmm. only go to, to um, healthcare professionals. Um, services can go to both, and I think it really depends on. There's a lot of you know in the rare disease category. Um, where there's a really small population that may be di- diagnosed with something, that is often a case where we're going towards both. Where we're trying to get those families that are impacted by that aware of what the healthcare solution might be, um, but also educate doctors across America. Right, when you come with a rare disease, um, that's often something that they're not, um, you know, fully educated on. Right, so you really need to kind of address both parties in getting that awareness out there. Got it. So, Trevor, knowing that you are so deep into the space. Broadly, how are marketing elements different for healthcare and pharmaceutical companies than they are for clients and other verticals? Um, and what's still the same between the two groups? Yeah. 
I would say one of the biggest differences is, you know, a lot of that retail CPG portfolio has a very heavy online experience, um, right? You move through a traditional kind of funnel and, and retail checkout, right? Mm-hmm. In the healthcare space, that's, you know, almost the opposite, right? When you call your doctor's office, right? You're making an appointment over the phone, right? And going into their record system. You know, you may not, your doctor may not take online appointments. You know, some do, some don't. So there's that offline, online experience that's very different and a a lot of that comes right through the way we measure our marketing, right? We don't get that nice pixeling, right? And that that nice full funnel and journey tracking you get online. So how do you kind of connect the offline and the online components, right? So that offline online component changes a lot of what we do. Um, it also changes channel mix, right? And how we think about omni-channel messaging and how that all connects. But I think there's similarities, right? I think everyone's talking about addressability, right? How do we get the right audiences? How do we target the right households for our message. That's something that, right, health, the health vertical is very focused on, right? Pharmaceuticals, not everyone needs every healthcare solution. So how do we, you know, kind of rein in that budget and that targeting? Um, But that also applies to retail and, and, you know, nonprofit and travel. All of those verticals are focused on that as well. Okay. So what I'm hearing is it's a little, little flipped in terms of the user funnel, maybe, but it still has a lot of similarities in how the user does move through the funnel. In, in the way the channels come together and layer together. Yeah, and I would say, you know, you still, you know, the vertical discusses the lead generation, right? We discuss that upper funnel and, and middle funnel, right? And lower funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in, you know, in an online and a digital space, that upper funnel is all easily tracked through the mid and lower funnel, right? Did someone get into, add something to their cart, right? Did they get to the checkout page? Right. We don't have those same things in health, right? <laughs> it's, did someone call their doctor, right? That may be, that may be a lead, right. right? Or, you know, did they inquire or, you know, some um, pharmaceuticals, some health, right, have forms, right, to get in more information. Did someone um, want to know more about what we were offering? Right. So, and that might be your middle of the funnel and the lower funnel might be a script. It might be an appointment. So it's just, you know, there's still that same funnel and there's a lot of that same focus on addressability. It's just the funnels look very different in terms of what is each step and then Got how it. we measure those um, isn't one-to-one. So. Got it. It seems like a a tough challenge to stitch together all of those offline activities. Like I think of, you know, a pharmaceutical rep going and visiting a doctor to push a drug like that's still kind of like upper funnel, right? When we're thinking about it through the marketing funnel, but getting access to those data points to be able to tack them together to be able to then like inform an email campaign or a paid media campaign, like that seems like a very challenging problem to solve to stitch all of that information together for, for this vertical. Yeah, you know, I think your your you know doctor marketing right that that um, healthcare professional marketing is a great example, right? You may have a campaign, you know, that's digital, right? That is um, by nature, right? You may have doctors coming to a website and, and learning, right, and getting all this information. And that's upper funnel, right? Did they engage with the brand? You might have some middle funnel things there, but the true down funnel, right? The impact that you may be optimizing towards is, did they have a script lift, right? And to your point, mm-hmm. how do you get the data on the script lifts and how do you tie that together? And so um, it is, you know, very challenging because you don't have that digital, you know, footprint from beginning to end. Um, it does require you to kind of be really specific on what your KPRs are, what are you trying to drive and move forward, and then really have a, a measurement and a test and learn plan for how you're going to kind of bring that campaign to life. Mm-hmm. So knowing these differences in, in the marketing elements, when we go to actually like compile a tactical 
marketing plan, how do priorities kind of differ for this vertical? Like, is there difference in scale? Like as you're talking about like access to some of that data, or is there a typically a different focus on a different part of the funnel? Or how do you, how do we address this when we're primarily talking about like the digital marketing lens of it? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges, right, is, is HIPAA, right, you know, restricts a lot of healthcare providers from doing what a lot of other verticals are able to execute, right? So you may read a lot of great case studies, right, that are applicable for a lot of other verticals, but in health, they're, they're not, you know, they're not able to be executed on. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's one of the, the kind of key differences. And so I think when you think about your campaigns or your strategies, right, things like retargeting automatically fall off the table, right? They're, they're not even topic of, of conversations. So I think it then requires you to think about, okay, if I can't retarget someone, then my audience from the beginning needs to be even better. I don't have that nice response of, hey, someone landed on this webpage and I'm going to, you know, then fire off a campaign or retarget them. So how do you get the right audience, right? You know, and a lot of that comes through kind of experts, third parties, right, who work on audiences in healthcare. And that's, you know, the whole company's business. And so, you know, partnering with them is unique. I think a lot of other verticals use their first party data. And that is a huge um, value, right? And, you know, a lot of agencies push to use that and make their campaigns better. In health, it's, you know, kind of the opposite, right? We're relying more and more on third parties to be stronger and to be better. And they follow HIPAA compliance. And can we use those audiences to help make our campaigns better? So I think that's something, right, that that's a big challenge, right? And I also think it's one of those things where it ends up impacting your, your mix as well, um, right? Every, you know, channel does not have the ability to use third-party um, audiences. So, you know, that then limits you in terms of what channels can come into your mix and your planning, right, in your reach. And so, you know, that's, I think, what a, a lot of what we deal with is those third-party audiences, you know, is a great step from demos, but they then introduce a whole nother layer of challenges for audience targeting that, you know, kind of restrict what you can do in, in some channels, um, you know, specifically like social being probably one of the most restrictive on third-party audience usage. Mm. Okay. And I'm I'm guessing too, like as we're talking about the parameters that fit within healthcare and pharma, like I can imagine there's a company that probably could sell something that's not technically like restricted by HIPAA compliance, like a skincare lotion, for example, that maybe doesn't have to be prescribed, but then they also sell things that do have to be scripted by a doctor. Like, do we see some of these companies that like partially fall under those restrictions and partially not? Or is it usually like clients pretty much fully fall under those parameters of like, you can't do any retargeting? Yeah, I would say, um, you definitely have clients who probably cross over that field. I, you know, I think it's one of the reasons, right? You'll see uh, health and nonprofit bundled together, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. a, a common alignment. And a lot of that goes with, you know, because they are health, they're in their health vertical, right? But they are a nonprofit organization. And I think mm-hmm. a great example of that overlap, right, that you're saying is the nonprofit and the, and the fundraising and the giving side is a very different type of business to operate than the healthcare side. And depending upon how the structure and the organization 
the web pages and all of that is put together, you may have to operate your business under HIPAA guidelines, um, right? On the, for the nonprofit and the fundraising and philanthropy side, because of the health you know nature of your business and how things are structured. So, I think we do see that um, a lot. I think in some of those health product services, the the business can kind of navigate it a little bit better because they're used to it. I think that nonprofit philanthropy side mixing with the health is where you're you know you'd like to operate the nonprofit and the fundraising much more like a retail client, right? You, a lot right. of those retargeting and pixeling, right? You'd like to do those things, but when you're governed under that health um, and HIPAA guidelines, right, those things come out of question. So um, that's probably the most common case, I think, where we see it, where the separation would probably give the, the philanthropy side a much better leg in, um, in what they do, a leg up in what they do. Got it. So maybe like St. Jude's would be a good example of that, would you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. no, I think I think they're perfect, right? Like, and you know, there's yeah. a lot of them out there who sit in that, and it all depends on how you structure the brand and the website, right? And and sometimes the legacy of how you operate the business may make the separation difficult, and you just work under the guidelines of HIPAA, and it makes the the philanthropy side a little harder. Um, but at least you know, right? You're you're following the guidelines as they're written. So yeah, makes sense. So more examples, because I love examples. Is there any like case studies that you can speak to or something that we've published, um, something you've seen in the market illustrating some of the types of the things you've described? I know you've kind of talked through like St. Jude's, but maybe some of the marketing funnel things that we were talking about earlier or just case studies that you think are really interesting related to the healthcare space. So again, we love examples. Yeah, I've uh, I've worked on the the cancer treatment centers yep. of America's business right for a couple of years now, and we've released several case studies right on, on various topics because we've really tried to bring a lot of what the other verticals have in terms of advancement and innovation and bring it into the health vertical where we can right and um, around the guidelines right of HIPAA like where that is possible. So you know our opinion is health can you know, be innovated as well. Um, and it just needs to be done in the right way. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, ha- we had a great case study um, recently, right, that we published around um, addressable TV. I know the last time we talked to it was more connected TV. Mm-hmm. And we took that same model, right, and went to the addressable TV. And that was, you know, big in the vertical because there is still a lot of linear TV buying done, right? There's the desire to be on cable TV spots. And we said, look, we don't, think that we need to step away from cable, but we need to make cable addressable, right? We need to bring in the digital components of it and we need to measure it, right? We need to get our funnel, right, built out and we need to put that all together. So, I, you know, I think that was a great case of like, how do we leverage what some of health has always loved, which has been linear TV and cable? How do we bring the digital and addressable best practices into mm-hmm. it? Um, you know, modern analytics and measurement mixing in there as well. And then ultimately, right, like, you know, driving business outcomes and, and optimizing marketing. So that's a case study I love, especially because I feel like, you know, we've, we've talked about connected TVs growing, right? And, and you know, that is the, the, the big boom, right? And everyone's investing more and interested. But I think addressable TV gets missed a little bit because it does feel like linear in many ways. Um, but I think the addressable component to me gives it that middle ground where it's not exactly linear, but of course, it's not exactly a digital channel either. Uh, and then right. for our listeners and being very honest, for myself as as well. Can you give a quick refresher of what connected TV is versus linear versus uh, maybe just normal cable? Um, Just again, so we have that as reference. 
Yeah. So, you know, our, our kind of the way we define it is linear, linear TV is split into two. We'd put broadcast into kind of one side of it, which would be your, um, you know, your kind of channels two through seven on a TV, right? Your NBCs are going to sit in that broadcast side. Um, and then we're going to have on the opposite side of linear is going to be cable. Um, so these are going to be, you know, if you have DirecTV or Dish, these are going to be your 200s. Um, ESPN, right? CNN are going to sit in these categories. So that's kind of where linear TV sits. And then addressable is similar to cable in which you're buying the same inventory, but your buying strategy is different. So in cable, you'd buy, you know, hey, I'm going to buy every household who consumes ESPN at 302. Mm. Um, in the addressable, I'm going to buy 10% of those households that fit my audience um, at that same spot. Okay. And so that differs from connected TV in the way that the connected TV inventory is, you know, it, it can range. Um, you can buy it through smart TVs or Samsung, LG, Vizios. Um, it can be through streaming inventory like you know Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, Tubi. There's also various ad spots in there. So you know they're similar in terms of I think what a consumer might think that they're consuming. Right, a 30 second ad slot, ad slot right on ESPN Plus as a streaming app. Right. People would say that, you know, you could classify that as either, but the way that we buy it and kind of activate does differ a little based on true capabilities. Perfect. Thank you. We are definitely seeing a ton of, you know, market trends. Everyone in any vertical is talking about inflation, supply chain disruptions over the last couple of years, initiatives around DEI efforts, uh, privacy regulations, which I know we've already touched on, but um, general privacy regulations for uh, just consumer privacy. Of these, or maybe more of these kind of like hot topics, are there some that impact this vertical more than others? Yeah, um, I think two that that I would kind of heavily focus on, right, is one the the diversity um, side of things, especially from the services category, right. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger focus on wanting my healthcare professional to understand my life situation, right. That maybe mm-hmm. I want my healthcare professional to look like me, to come from a similar neighborhood as me or background as me um, culturally, and that's something that there is a desire, right, for for patients that want that type of interaction. The challenge is right. Right. That it takes a long time to make healthcare professionals. They have to go through college, right? They have to get degrees. <laughs> um, and so we can't increase the percentage of them overnight. Um, but that is something, right, that patients want today. Um, and, and healthcare brands need to work on for, you know, today, tomorrow, and the future. So that's something that has been, you know, we knew patients um, probably for a long time wanted it. I think in the past year or two, it's been a, a larger topic. Um, and I think you see different integrations, right, or, or kind of programs that different brands are doing between universities or, you know, scholarships to make a more diverse healthcare professional kind of output from those universities. So I would say that's definitely a big one we see. And then, you know, I would choose inflation as the other one. And I think it's indirect to healthcare because I think people are feeling financial pressures in many ways and they're deciding, okay, what part of my budget, right, can I trim back on? Um, And unfortunately for some people that ends up being healthcare, right? And that, that can be a sad situation or a tough situation on them, but that may be, you know, choosing an insurance plan that is cheaper, right? And, and kind of saying, hey, I'm going to go to the doctor less. That may be trying to avoid co-pays, right? Or things like that. So I think it's going to be in 
indirectly, something that you feel across the vertical um, in different ways. I think some products, right, um, there are products in healthcare that you'd say are more essential. Um, you know, like insulin is a great example of that where it's, you know, it's really essential. There are more healthcare products that are more maybe cosmetic, right? And those might be the ones that we see a decrease in engagement on. In COVID, right, we saw a lot less of people doing annual exams, right? It was uh, maybe not the safest decision to go see a doctor, um, but that ended up with very few annual exams that year, which was a lower diagnosis of a lot of things that would have been caught. So as we see inflation, right, we may see less doctor visits in general, um, which can have right, kind of long-term impacts to different subsets of health, depending on what that exactly looks like. Yeah, I'm sure preventative care is the first thing to go out the window. Um, right. Talking to the the DEI work, I definitely relate to this. I feel like every day when I'm listening to Spotify, I hear ads for like mental health apps where you can be matched with like therapists who fit like specific qualifications or specific training in certain areas or have certain demographic profiles that fit like someone that you want to talk to or relate to. And it, it seems like all around in in this space for sure. Yeah, and I think right we saw this, um, you know, in in the the LGBTQ plus community, right, especially where we where doctors, right, it was important to have doctors who understood, right, the, like the life, right, and were able to, you know, have the conversations that were necessary to that population. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not something I would say that is new, right. We we've known this has been a desire by patients. We know that this improves, right, diagnosis rates of key things. It improves, right, the health of those individuals, right. Doctors are, are more likely to be able to understand and diagnose things better. So I don't think it's new, but I definitely think it's something that the conversation has gotten much larger in the past year or two. And I think there's been much more response from individuals, right, and organizations to, to kind of change that direction. I think this is one of the, the toughest things, though, because we have to start from the, really that kind of high school, right, college you know, standpoint, and it will take years to you know, grow the population of, of diverse, right, um, healthcare professionals. It's not something Something that we can do overnight, but it's something where if you know the community continues to kind of drive together, right, both from a patient side and a healthcare side, it's you know five, ten years of changes that we'll want to see in terms of diversity. Yeah, potentially even longer when you think of the impact that like a university professor set might have on the students that even want to go into that field, but maybe they don't feel like they fit in or they don't relate to their professors. So they don't have a good experience and they don't continue with that drive. So as we're, um, we're wrapping up our episode here, Trevor, what are the main takeaways you want our listeners to walk away thinking about in relationship to just marketing for, for healthcare and pharmaceuticals? Yeah, I think one of the the big things, right, is is health is a different um, vertical, right? I, it's I think there's similarities in a lot of other ones, um, right? And you get a little overlap, and you get some learnings in some cases. And I think health, in many ways, sits by itself in, in a lot of ways, right? Because you lose a lot of retargeting, right? You lose a, you have heavy um, guidelines with HIPAA, right? So you end up in a world kind of all by yourself. And I think a lot of um, listeners, right, will will say like, yeah, maybe I've never worked on health before. Right, or I've never been in a healthcare environment, and I didn't even think about those things. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, right, I would encourage people to say, you know, I I, I came right, and I 
didn't work on a health account and that I came to my first health account and I brought a lot of outside opinion, right? And outside knowledge and it brought a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. So in the reverse, I would also say, look, if you haven't worked in health, that shouldn't be a barrier to get into health or to work on a healthcare account. It should be in many ways, right? An excitement to say, look, I can maybe bring a few retail ideas, right? Or a few travel ideas into health um, and change the health game just, you know, a little, right? With what I'm bringing to the table. So, you know, be excited. Um, don't be intimidated, but know that um, it will be a tough road. Yeah. You, you'll have, a, I always say, you'll have a hundred great ideas, right? And HIPAA will knock you down to one. So um, but that one is a great idea. And what an exactly, impact it can have. Exactly. You just got to keep pitching the hundred, right? Yeah. After one and two and three, you just got to keep pitching. And once you get to a hundred, right, you'll, you'll kind of land on one that will stick and um, you'll get the hang of it over time. So very cool. Trevor, thank you so, so much for joining us again. It's always a pleasure to have you on on with us. And uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for this season, we would love to hear it. Just drop us a note at digitalmarketingmusings at merklink.com. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review our show. It helps others find us. And we're always appreciative if you tell a friend. This episode was produced by Merkel with sound and video editing by Craig Zagurski. Our team includes copywriting by Annika Schliesman, graphic design by Garrett Rubel, website support by Bella Paul and Emily Chu, and social media and promotion by Gina Astrop and Andrea Ratner. Be sure to tune in next time. And until then, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.